0: For Ole Miss to be as good as we want them to be, there are certain things that needs to happen in this spring training. We will delve into our crystal ball and see if they can do it. Also, we're going to give our thoughts on Hunter Elliott and what went down yesterday. Anyway, this is the Locked On Ole Miss podcast.
1: You are locked on Ole Miss. Your daily podcast on the Ole Miss Rebels. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.
0: Alright, welcome to the Locked On Ole Miss Podcast. I am your host, Stephen Willis. Thanks for tuning in today. And also, thank you for making the Locked On Ole Miss Podcast your first listen every day. We are, in fact, free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. Do us a favor, hit subscribe. Go ahead and hit the bell for notifications. And you can comment down below as well as upvote the video itself. We'd appreciate it very much. Now, spring practice is a little under a month away. I know time absolutely flies, but there are certain things that we want to get done, certain goals that we want to have happen as fans, and that makes this spring practice probably more important than it usually is. For Ole Miss to reach the area that it needs to get, it's going to first and foremost start with the quarterback competition that begins this spring. Just period. It's just the way it's going to be. Lane Kiffin, like I said many, many times before, he wants two out of three scenarios to absolutely happen. He either wants Jackson Dart to win the job, absolutely ball out, and go to the NFL. Or he wants Spencer Sanders to win the job. Just period. It doesn't matter if he balls out or not because he only has one year of eligibility. Because 2024 will be important for the Ole Miss Rebels and it will be important for Walker Howard. We all mentioned with those three quarterbacks, Walker Howard would not go to LSU to Ole Miss for the exact same situation. So you have to look at what he's coming to and what he's doing to determine how this kind of sits. And this quarterback competition will be absolutely everything. They need to settle it before the start of the season. There will be no leader that is named. they weren't not going to say very much. Basically, when you go to watch it on Saturdays in the stadium, will be probably the most information you get from anybody about this quarterback competition. So, We're going to try and find people to go watch practice and be in the um, stadium and talk about what they saw because that is going to be the best avenue for determining what's what's going on because everything is going to be somebody's opinion on this. Everybody's going to have preconceived motivations through all of this. It should be quite interesting, but this quarterback competition will be a whole bunch of fun And it is imperative for Ole Miss getting to where they want to be in 2024. What happens this spring is going to affect next spring, next fall. So it's going to be very important that either Jackson Dart has a super fast start, or in this case, I do think the tie goes to Spencer Sanders. We'll see exactly how this goes and how they compete throughout spring practice. The next thing is the bedrock of the defensive linemen, of the linebackers, of the defensive backs, and this new system that they are going to run defensively is going to be unbelievably important. You're at Alabama. You're at Georgia. You're in a situation now to where you're playing Georgia every two years. People need to get that in their head. This Georgia thing isn't a a once-a-decade thing anymore. You play Georgia in 2023, you're probably either going to play them in 2024 or 2025 again. Because they will be in the rotational members of play, of clubs coming into your facility. So, avoiding Georgia, getting Alabama, getting Georgia—that has a base. No, you're going to get those on a semi-regular basis throughout all of this. I mean, the good news is while you gain Georgia every other year, you're probably going to lose um, Alabama every year. So Georgia and Alabama is essentially one team. You can just mark it down on your schedule as being a difficult game. But the defense that Pete Golding puts in and the players that he has to run it will be very important for the Ole Miss Rebels and they need to do it. And if I look in my crystal ball, just like if I pull out a Miss Cleo and give my prognostications, I do expect the defense... To progress a long way in the 15 practices in spring lots of people are going to say that spring practice don't matter doesn't matter they' they're just going to do that the reason they're going to do that is because they don't have access they don't like covering it they don't like standing out in the cold or the hot or whatever is going on but for teams in this transfer portal environment where so many players are brand new these 15 practices are are imperative as just an orientation so they can hit the ground running in the fall. If the spring practices do not accomplish what they want to accomplish all of a sudden it's going to take a little bit longer in the fall and your team's not going to be as good. So right now spring practice is as important as it ever has been in college football in the history and it's because of the transfer portal. Looking also in the crystal ball they're, speaking of the transfer portal, the late window, will Ole Miss be active? I Honestly, I don't think so. I think Ole Miss is 97 or 98% done with their roster at this point. They might pick up one or two players in the portal. We'll see what happens um, when it gets to be that time. And we'll see if any Ole Miss players leave during that time as well. We'll see exactly how that goes because that'll potentially force them to go out and find somebody else. Now, remember, the thing about the late transfer portal is whoever goes into the portal cannot go to an SEC school. So if they're going to go down to Conference USA, if they are going to go down to the Sun Belt, if they are going over to the Pac-12 or Big 12, or even the Big 10, they can do that, but they can't go SEC to SEC unless they were in the portal before like February 1st, sometime around there. So that is going to be an important thing. This quarterback competition, if you're looking for a crystal ball pick on it, there's not one because Lane Kiffin is going to try and make that room as competitive as possible as long as possible, so they're not going to name anything in the spring. So the important thing is that quarterback competition is taken care of by the third week of fall camp, and we can kind of go from there, honestly. It's really, really interesting. I, I, I'm, I'm really fired up about where this team sits. I'm really fired up about what they can be, and I'm really fired up about, if you play your cards right, how you can improve this team to 2024. I'm looking at 2024. I'm constantly focused on that because of the new SEC, the new scheduling the expanded college football playoff. There are so many things that are pointing to that year. You need to be at a point to maximize that year as a program. And if you can do that, it could be really, really cool. Anyway, today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. We're at the midway point of the NBA season, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel. It's America's number one sportsbook. Because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if you do your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. If you live inside the state of Mississippi, obviously you have to go to a sportsbook in a casino and be on the property and use theirs to gamble. But if you visit Memphis, if you go down to New Orleans, the FanDuel Sportsbook becomes available to you and is super easy to use. FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with same-game parlay. So don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. All right, thanks again for making the Locked On Ole Miss podcast your first listen every day. Make sure you check out our brand new podcast, Locked On College Basketball. It's got everything you need to know about college basketball in one place. Plus, you get to hear from big-name experts, insiders, coaches, and players. Locked On College Basketball, it's available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. All right, in the first segment, we talked about crystal ball and looking at how spring practice is going to go and kind of the important things storylines going into that. I mean, there's 30,000-foot view. You look down, quarterback competition, defense. I mean, you know, somebody might listen to this and go, duh. But needs to be said, it is what it is. Now, Wednesday night, media surrounding Ole Miss, surrounding college baseball, starting getting a flutter with the news that Hunter Elliott, may have had a catastrophic arm injury. Now, it may come through to this, to where Hunter Hunter Elliott is that injured, to where, you know, God bless him, he has to miss the whole season, he has to have Tommy John, all of that is on the table. But in this era, to be first, and with a hit rate of about 50% in the media on a good day. I don't know how much we can trust the information that got let out. This is all we really know, honestly. Hunter Elliott threw um, in his pitching appearance and was kind of fine. He came the next day, had a little bit of arms tightness, threw anyway. On the next day, he came out and threw a little bit harder, had a little bit of more tightness. So Mike Bianco decided to go get an MRI and just have people look at it. After the MRI, they sent all the pictures to orthopedic specialists all around the country that undoubtedly specialize in the elbow and this type of injury that could happen. That is what we know. The story that we got is, oh, Ole Miss is about to get news of a catastrophic arm injury, or, oh, could it be a terrible thing for Honey or Elliot? And it was a sense of dread. And it's just the way the media works these days. I understand that. But if you take it at face value, you have set yourself up, honestly, to be disappointed. Because you don't know what's going on at this point. You're just going to borrow trouble for a little bit. And then if it never comes, okay, relief. But I don't I don't know if you're preparing yourself. I don't know the reason behind doing this. Whenever you're dealing with an injury of a injury injury of a ball player, so many things come into and come into the realm, this realm of thinking, like HIPAA and things like that. You're never going to find out really the extent of the injury unless somebody comes out and points at that. They might say, okay. This is what we found. Now, I genuinely like Hunter Elliott. I think his future is extremely bright. But I don't think it's a home run that it is where it is, just based off the information that we got. Again, they could be holding back information. I get that. Maybe they're leaking it to certain people. Okay. But off of the information that we got, it does not match the way the afternoon and the early evening went in reporting of what was going on. What was said after the game does not match what everybody told us to be prepared for. So if that happens, if that becomes a real thing, and and it absolutely is, maybe, just maybe, everybody should just... Take a deep breath. Wait for official confirmation of what's going on instead of just speculating. Anytime you hear elbow, anytime you hear arm, they automatically you know, get really bent out of shape. Fan base is extremely nervous about that, and Hunter Elliott is a key cog in the Ole Miss baseball team. So I can understand why you would immediately go to doom and gloom. I get that. But... As of the facts of what we actually know now, it it is just not there. Now it could be there at the end; it could happen. But why borrow trouble before then? That's an interesting question. Now Jack Doherty is going to take the Friday night start against Maryland. Then you'll have Grayson Saunier and Xavier Rivas. Um, I'm sure. I'm assuming that that will be the rotation moving in to the next weekend as well, depending on Hunter Elliott and what they say. And we'll see exactly how this goes. But I do not recommend borrowing trouble on this one. If something happens, it happens. But nothing to this point has been concrete enough to where you can say this happened. Now, you have like the 24-7 site that says he's probably going to have to get shut down for the year. Um, And you have other people that may be saying stuff in the background. And if he does get shut down for the year, that's a terrible situation. I hate it for the kid. But honestly, Ole Miss won a national championship last year. And that has bought them this year if something goes awry, honestly. So we'll see exactly what happens. Anyway, in the next segment, we've got Derek Vandy Griff. He's going to give his weekend preview of the Maryland Terrapins, let's go Terps! That's what they used to say at HFS in Baltimore's radio station. Whenever I was stationed up there, they would just come on the radio and do that. And I just cannot hear Terrapins and not say that now because they would say that four times a day. It's absolutely ridiculous. But I enjoyed Baltimore. I enjoyed Maryland. I enjoyed Fell's Point. Um, but I do want Ole Miss to get two for two or three this weekend. I do want them to take the opener in Minnesota. So let's take three out of four out of Maryland this weekend. Anyway, coming up next, we have Derek Vandy-Griff. He's going to give his weekend preview, talk about everything's going on. Probably has some thoughts about Hunter Elliott as well, so stick around for that. Thanks for making the Locked On Ole Miss podcast your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcast, including YouTube. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, hit the bell for notifications, and, of course, upvote the video and participate in the comments section below. I'm here with Derek Vandegrift. We're going to talk a little Maryland Terrapins. Whenever I lived in Baltimore, Derek, I, I did this earlier in the show. There was a radio station called WHFS. It was HFS. And their mm-hmm. whole thing was every time they said Maryland Terrapins, somebody would go, let's go Terps. Yeah, it just it, that was just <laughs> over and over. And that is in my head to this day. So that is going to get me into a little bit of trouble over the next couple of weekends because every time I hear Maryland Terrapins, I think of that. Yeah, yeah. You you don't need to break
1: out any let's go Terps over over, over the next four weekend uh, uh, games for us. Now you you got to switch over to some hotty totties or something like that.
0: Yeah. The funny thing is, I'm not even a Maryland fan. It's just one of those things where I've heard it so much on the radio, it just stuck in yeah. my head. It's it's. Yeah. Just- Just muscle memory at this point. Exactly, exactly. Because I went to um, a school in the Navy in Fort Meade, Maryland, which is right outside Baltimore. So Mm -hmm. I had a year basically living in and around the Maryland Terrapins. Uh, Anyway, before we get started, though, I do want to say on the second segment of this show, we talked about it and got my opinion, but I want to get Derek's opinion on this as well. Now, the situation with Hunter Elliott, Whenever we started getting news early in the afternoon that something was wrong, everybody just assumed, oh, this is terrible, this is catastrophic, this is awful. And then it turned into a cascading thing where media members tried to basically outdo themselves and try to mm-hmm. be first. But whenever Mike Bianco actually talked about what happened, none of that was anywhere near that. It Really, that was a non-answer answer. And if it was as catastrophic as people said, there would have been an answer. So honestly... <laughs> What's the are people just trying to be first on this? Yeah, that's just kind of the the day and age we
1: live in right now with media, right? Uh, everybody wants to be first and not exactly right. Uh, that's you know we we did a Twitter space on Tuesday night, you know, when all this was coming out, and then the the Ole Miss game was winding down at that point, and you know we touched on it briefly, but you know we didn't really say anything about it because there really was no official news, and that's what you want to wait on and. And one thing you got to give Mike Bianco credit for throughout all of his time at Ole Miss, when when an injury like this pops up, if it is that bad and it is that clear cut, he doesn't sit there and try to hide it from you for weeks, right? Like he's, he'll, he'll go ahead and come out and tell you that if it's that bad and he's got to have Tommy John, something like that, and he just comes out and tells you and they, they shut down for the year and it's time to move on and find other guys. And uh, he, he was given the opportunity to do that last night and, and he didn't do it. And quite frankly, I came away a little more encouraged after his statement last night than reading all of the people on Twitter and uh, other baseball writers, stuff like that, coming out talking about the potential Hunter Elliott injury. So, uh, but you know, what what Mike said, you know, he he felt fine Friday, uh, felt fine after the game Friday, after he pitched through 90 pitches, five innings, picked up the win for us. Um, Saturday, complained of a little bit of, of discomfort and tightness in that forearm which does always scare you but it wasn't anything that you know he he never lost feeling in his hand never had that tingling feeling anything like that didn't really hurt it was just tight and uncomfortable through his bullpen and uh you know if, if it was something real bad they never would have let him go out there and even pick up a baseball much less throw a bullpen so got through it it was still tight still didn't hurt anything like that seen him off for the MRIs and all and um, you know, I, I had to have MRIs done on my knee last week, and I got them back in less than a day. So I know that a preseason second-team All-American can get his back in, in less than a day. And <clears throat> if there was something catastrophic on on that MRI, then then we would already know about it because, like I said, it's not really something that Mike does is hide it from us. So, uh, you know, I think they're just kind of gathering opinions, getting the rest of it looked at. They they, they use several orthopedics, you know, it's just kind of what they do. and. And tried to get a bunch of different opinions, but if it was as clear-cut as some people made it sound like, then you know, we we would already know about that. So hopefully, you know, this is a situation where he can get some rest. And uh, you know, it'll heal up on himself. I, I don't know if you remember or not, Stephen. Back a couple of years ago, kind of went through this with Doug McCasey. <clears throat> he felt a little bit of tightness and, and we shut him down for a few weeks. And obviously there was speculation, it's not what you want to hear, somebody having trouble in the elbow forearm area. But, uh, you know, after after I think it was two or three weeks we shut him down, he came back and he was absolutely nails. I don't think he lost a game the rest of the year for us. Uh, So hopefully we get another situation like that. But the best thing to do is to, you know, sit back, let it play out, and uh, let Mike Bianco and those guys get all the information back from all the different doctors and and see what route to take from there.
0: Yeah, and and in case anybody knows, I am a professional at getting MRIs. I've had probably 17 MRIs in the last three years. And my appointment for the reading of the MRI is two hours after I get the MRI. Yeah. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's a relatively quick turnaround.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and, and like, like I said, I'm sure they got results. There was probably something in there they didn't particularly like, but obviously not something that was so catastro- catastrophic and, uh, and clear cut that that they want to go ahead and make decisions now. So, You know, give him some rest, let Jack Doherty get in there. And, uh, you know, we got a good guy with some experience coming into that Friday night, rolled some really good stuff for us, and, you know, really big weekend ahead. And hopefully after two, three weeks, something like that, maybe he can be ready for SEC play.
0: All right, let's talk about the Maryland Terrapins. What are we looking at coming into Oxford? Uh, A very, very good baseball team. Uh,
1: They they won the Big Ten last year and a clear-cut favorite to win it again this year. Um, it's a team that can really swing it, but you know, we're, we're going to face uh, a real ace come Friday night with uh, Jason Savickle. He's a preseason second team all-American coming into this year. He's one of the top prospects in the big 10 uh, for, for this year. He's you know a pretty big kid. He, he had a good year last year, went eight and three with 293 ERA, 123 strikeouts and 107 innings. Uh, doesn't walk a lot of guys struggled a little bit in his first start of the year against south florida you know he he went six innings gave up five earned only struck out five but but you know this is the guy that that you've got to get past on friday night to set yourself up for a winning weekend and and it's even more important this weekend with hunter being out but like i said you slide jack doherty right in there and you know you've got a guy that can go pitch to pitch with him uh so that's the first thing that stood out to me Second thing is the way they hit the ball, man. They are really, really good at the plate. Uh, they've got the best catcher in the country. Um, in Oxford, you're going to see probably two of the top three shortstops in the entire country this year uh, with Jacob Gonzalez and, and Matt Shaw. He, he had a really, really good year last year, uh, hit 290, 22 home runs, and then goes up to the Cape Cod, and he leads the entire league with like a 320-something batting average. Um, you know, he's, he comes back and he, he swings it real well. The catcher's really interesting, Luke Schleiger. He's a really good receiver and a really good defensive catcher. He can really control the run game, kind of like uh, Dunhurst and Cooper Johnson have been able to do for us the last several years. Uh, but what's so interesting is his bat. He's, he's a high-average hitter. He's a power hitter uh and, and, and he runs. He had fourteen stolen bases last year. You know, he's he's a guy that, that can contribute in every single facet of a baseball game, especially from the catcher position. And that's something you don't see a whole lot. So I'm I'm really interested to see him play. Um and then they've got uh, Nick LaRusso for the, the third baseman, another really good hitter hit three twenty-two with fifteen bombs last year. Kevin Keister at second base, three seventeen with eleven bombs and you know just kind of looking back at their year last year you see all of these guys that have anywhere from you know nine all the way up to 22 home runs there's probably like eight of them returning this year it's crazy uh but but the thing that really caught my eyes is how many doubles they hit every one of them are had, had have hit anywhere from 11 to 20 something doubles on top of it too so it's a team that that really strikes the ball well, really hits the ball hard, and can do more than just send it out of the ballpark. They, they just eat you alive with extra bases. Um, <clears throat> and they've got another really good starter, too. The Saturday guy's real good. Um, he's one of the top, I want to say, 20 prospects, 15 prospects, something like that, coming out of the Big Ten. Uh, his name's Nick Dean, and, and he just showed out last week against South Florida in that big bounce-back game for Maryland. Six innings, one hit, one walk, eight strikeouts. Guy with a really live arm. Um, really good stuff. It's, it's going to be the first challenge of the year, and it's going to be really exciting to see it because this is one thing that we kind of lacked last year. If you look back at last year's team, we didn't have this big non-conference series to kind of gear us up for the SEC slate. And, uh, boy, we're, we're really going to have our hands full this weekend, really excited to see it. And you're, you're going to see guys all over the field that, that can play in the majors one day.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a really big series. It looks like we're going to see it Friday night, Guy, twice, um, essentially. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm, uh, yeah. So, with our rotation, Jack Doherty, Friday night, Saturday, mm-hmm. Sonye, Sunday, yeah. Revis? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't
1: see any reason to change those last two, you know. Uh, Doherty, he's, he's the kind of guy that, that you've kind of wondered since he got on campus. You know, if you remember back his true freshman year, you didn't see him until like the last third of the year when we were really searching for a pitcher, especially in the midweek, that was the year that we really struggled in those midweek games. And, uh, you know, in in practice, he had that big fastball that that people just couldn't catch up with. It's a really high spin rate fastball that makes it heavy. Um, And and he already throws it 94, 95. So when it's heavy on top of that, it's really hard to catch up with. And, you know, then last year, he's in the bullpen most of the year. And then you get to Omaha in the postseason, and, you know, he's, one of your best arms coming out of the pen starts that national championship game for you in game one. And uh, if, if I'm not mistaken, had the longest perfect game for for, for a national championship series in Omaha going before it got broke, broken up there uh, in the fifth or sixth inning, whatever it was back then. Uh, but yeah, you know, we're really excited to get him out there. It's, it's a capable arm. It sucks you're pulling that out of your bullpen because that's the one question mark you had coming into this year. Um, but like I said, then you go Sonier, uh, Xavier Rivas, who I was really impressed with this past weekend. Uh, he threw harder than I thought he did. I thought he would sit more 88, 89, and he was consistently 90, 91. Uh, I don't know if maybe he was just juiced up or something like that. But uh, he he was throwing the ball harder than I thought he would. Uh, one one funny quote from his post game: They asked him what it was like throwing in front of that many people, and the last time he had thrown in front of that many people. And he said, oh, you know, I've, I've, I've never thrown in front of this many people. He said, you know, last year, there was more people at the game Sunday than there was last year all combined for the entire year. You know, at the D2 Indianapolis school, they'd have like 20 parents in the stands for for starts, you know. So, I'm sure he was juiced up. But, uh, you know, really liked what I saw from him. Sonier obviously has, has the really good stuff. If he can kind of harness it and control it a little bit, get his nerves under control. So, uh, I think we're in okay shape. We – Need some of these young pitchers to step up and and fill that void that Doherty's leaving in the bullpen, uh, at least until we can get Hunter back if he is able to come back. And if he's not, then they need to step up and uh and be able to eat innings for us, you know. Uh and and I think we have a lot of very capable young arms that can do that. Uh we we saw JT Quinn last night, right? You know, you you saw the stuff that he has. Uh, big fastball doesn't move as much as you want it to. You want to have some cut, some runs, some sink, something like that. And his is a little flatter than you want it to be, but a big time curveball, I think, is is what really impressed me uh, Tuesday night from JT. So that's that's a young arm Takui and pitched really well for us coming in. Guys, how that bases loaded, one out jam. Uh, the, he's he's really impressed me so far this year. And then you've still got guys like Mitch Morell and uh, Jackson Kimbrell, those kind of guys and you saw Mason Nichols come in Tuesday night, too, and just pick up right where he left off. Looks like he's going to have a fantastic year. and He's just going to slide right into that closer role for us, right? So, uh, you know, definitely some questions on that pitching staff, but we've we've got the guys that, that can come in and, and hopefully eat up innings and, and fill in those holes for us.
0: All right, before we get out of here, what would be an acceptable result for Ole Miss? What would be a good result, I should say, for Ole Miss this weekend? Well, you know, you, you
1: want to take two out of three against the top 15 team, right, especially at home. So uh, Friday is is definitely the big game. If we end up getting Friday night's game, then I think you can start thinking about possibly taking three from them. Uh, they they really struggle out of the bullpen. Maryland does. Uh, their their Sunday starter, uh, Nate Haberthair, I believe is how you pronounce it, um, he struggled a little bit, pitched fine. He's a transfer from Ohio State. Uh, really struggled last year, so uh, that's one guy that, that maybe you you think you have an advantage p- pitching Revis across from him there, and and look one one thing about Ole Miss this year is there's going to be times where we just outslug people. I mean this offense has been absolutely ridiculous. I know we haven't had the toughest competition so far. If we go and put ten runs up against Jason Savical Friday night then, I mean, Lord, we, we might end up averaging 12 for the entire year because that's that's a really good picture. But this is a really good lineup with a lot of different options. Uh, saw Tuesday night Taiwan Malone be able to come in and, and get a home run, you know, and uh, Will Furnace just keeps it, and that, that kid's going to be absolutely incredible for us. But uh, top to bottom, there's, there's going to be games we're able to slug our way to it. And if we end up finding enough arms, then, you know, we – have a chance to be really really special again this year but yeah you you go into the weekend wanting to take 2 out of 3 that's always the mindset especially series like this you know last week we talked about really needing to get out of there with all three of them considering who we were playing but go ahead you're at home take 2 out of 3 win the series move on and get up to Minneapolis and and play
0: that Big 10 tournament up there
1: next weekend
0: yeah, outstanding. Um, thanks again for making the Locked On Ole Miss podcast your first. And listen every day. Make sure you check out our brand new podcast, Locked On College Basketball. Everything you need to know about college basketball in one place, plus you get to hear from big-name experts, insiders, coaches, players. It's going to be really great. Anyway, Locked On College Basketball. It's available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. Derek, thank you so much for stopping by today. Hope you enjoy the games this weekend, and I look forward to talking to you again next week, bud. All right buddy, hi Tody. Hi Tody.